I'm Downing Thomas. I'm Associate Provost and Dean of International Programs, so welcome to the program. This is a special edition of World Canvas for, for two reasons. Uh, the first is this week is International Education Week, and it's a joint initiative of the U.S. Department of Education, U.S. Department of State, that provides an opportunity for us to celebrate, uh, celebrate the benefits of international education and exchange worldwide. International Education Week is part of the federal government's efforts to promote programs that prepare Americans for a global environment and to attract future leaders from abroad to study, learn, and exchange experiences right here in the U.S. and right here in Iowa. So the second reason this is a special edition is that this today allows us to celebrate this year's International Impact Award, which recognizes distinguished alumni and other individuals with significant ties to the UI whose work is international in scope and has a profound impact both locally here and globally. And here to introduce this year's awardee is a strong supporter of internationalization, President Bruce Harold, 21st President of the University of Iowa. Thank you, Downing. I first must apologize for my dress. I was, you think that all I do is ask for money, which is true, but I also try to recruit some high school students. So I was over in another part of the state today uh, and, and dressed like this because I thought I could relate a little better. So I apologize. As Downing said, this is a pretty significant moment for a couple of reasons. Just to reiterate, this is in fact a very important week with the international educational focus going on across the country. But secondly, we're going to give, the, give this award to somebody who actually this international impact award is exactly what Jay is all about. He's both of those words. The internationalness, the involving and engaging our students in seeing a, in a very important part of the world, which I think is vitally important for the development of the next generation of leaders in our country and the world. The more we as humans intermingle, the more we realize we're all pretty much the same and we can help one another. But secondly, it's not just the international, it's the impact. And what I'd like to do is give you some sense of the lifetime of support that Jay has provided and tell you a little bit about his past that I think many of you already know, so I apologize if that's the case. He came to the United States at the age of 15 to live with his uncle and aunt in Iowa. He graduated from the University of Iowa in 1986 with a BBA in Management Sciences and is now the Executive Vice President for a lot of these activities we're going to recognize this evening. He's the Executive Vice President of the Sagal Foundation in the United States and a trustee of the SM Sagal Foundation in India. And that symbiotic relationship is quite critical in this story. The mission of these organizations is to strengthen community-led development, particularly those that achieve positive social, economic, and environmental change across rural India. With support from donors and partners, the Sagal Foundation designs and promotes rural development to address some of the most pressing challenges in India's poorest communities. These challenges include creating sustainable programs for managing water resources, 
increasing agricultural productivity, and strengthening rural governance while promoting gender equality, women's empowerment, and access to education. One of the major emphases of this work is improving school buildings, school management, student experiences, and curricula in India's rural communities to ensure that all school children, especially girls, who have long been disadvantaged in India, have a brighter and more promising future. In his leadership roles, Jay represents this foundation to the American donor organizations and development institutions, mobilizes resources from donors, creates linkages with key research organizations and foundations, and attracts volunteers, postdoc candidates from the U.S. as well to work with the foundation. There's an expression we have in, here in the Midwest, and it's called twofer. You get one, put one thing down, you get two back. That's a twofer. The dentist in the room wasn't talking about teeth. It's a twofer. <laughs> one thing, and you get two things back. That's what this program is in so many different ways. It's actually, from our perspective, a one-fer in the sense that it engages our students in this really important part of the world and gets lifetime, life-changing experiences. Secondly, it's making an impact in rural India. It probably is a threefer, because my guess is that in that interaction, the people on both sides are learning all about what the global, global humanity is all about and how to interrelate and work with one another. So it's not a twofer, it's a threefer, the more I think about it. I'm going to make up a new word. I'm not sure that's even a word here in the Midwest. But he's worked closely, obviously, with the international programs and a number of our colleges and departments over the past decade to provide hands-on learning opportunities for our students as well as connecting to the award-winning India winter term, the study abroad program that is pretty well recognized around the country now. And well over a thousand students and faculty have benefited from this India winter term since it started about 12 years ago. Jay's work throughout winter term has especially focused on mitigating, mitigating water scarcity and water-related health concerns throughout rural India. He's generous with his time. He meets with our students before, while, and after. And gets them to share their experiences on our campus as well as the program here behind us in World Canvas program. Marion Musty, who's here with us. I saw Marion somewhere. There is Marion. And Alan Bradley of the UI College of Engineering nominated Jay specifically for this award. And I want to pull a couple of sentences from their nomination because I think it capture perfectly why we're doing this and what this is all about. Jay, quote, Jay is an embodiment of humanism, professionalism, and collegiality. He's a great builder of sustainable bridges between countries and generations. He is a continuous inspiration for all of us. The second quote is he has demonstrated the unique power to motivate people and create change on an international scale. He's a visionary who dares to conceive and implement ideas with profound dimensions and engages others to, to join and share 
his vision. Jay, we thank you for your dedication, efforts, creativity, energy, and so much more. And we can only, in a small way, return that with this evening's award. You deserve it without any question. Uh, I would like to present this to you. I, it, as I said to you, please let's be careful. The base and the bowl are unattached. And I, we, I don't, I'm not going to touch it <laughs> because it's yours <laughs> and you now own it. But thank you ever so much for your leadership, your visionary efforts, and frankly, your love. Well, I'm not going to touch it either, and because um, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm the probably I'm, my wife is sitting here, and she can tell you I'm probably the most clumsy person here. So, um, thank you very much, uh, Professor, uh, President uh, Harold. It's uh, my pleasure to be here today uh, to accept this award. Um, I and thank you everyone in this room for being here and uh, celebrating. This is a celebration. This is not a celebration for my receiving the award, but I think the celebration of the work that the Segal Foundation that the University of Iowa does together. I think that's the, that is the larger celebration. I couldn't have done it myself if I did not have the team that I have on the ground uh, that takes care of the work they do. Uh, we, have a, we, we give certain ideas, we give suggestions, we give thoughts, and it's the students, uh, students when they go there, uh, as uh, President uh, Harold has said, that before we meet with them, before we meet them during, and we meet them afterwards, and it is that uh, that is excitement that is created in the whole uh, whole process is the success of this this particular program. So I am very very pleased to stand here and accept this award on behalf of my team, both in the U.S. as well as in India, both our Segal Foundation teams in uh, in India as well as in the United States. So it's my honor uh, to be, of course to be part of this very elite group, I think, uh, who has uh, previously has received this award. Um, I feel very humbled. Thank you for that fantastic introduction, and uh, I really appreciated that. And, and Segal Foundation in general, we believe in the fact that we need to work together. We need to create partnerships, and, and we need to, to make an impact. The type of impact we are trying to make cannot be done by one individual or one, one particular organization. It is joining hands, it's working together. And that is what I think we have uh, put together uh, with our program, with the international program and, and, uh, and the Segal Foundation. And I'm very, very pleased. And one of the, you have mentioned very clearly, one of the key programs that we work on is the water, studying the water salinity uh, projects in India. And I'm very pleased to inform you today that we have been able to make a positive impact in that particular aspect, uh, in, in one district of uh, Haryana in India. And I think that is a model. We had, what we are doing is creating a model. And I, I firmly believe that that model will be, is, can be replicated anywhere in the world, wherever it is required, to study inland salinity, how salinity is building. And uh, everybody has heard of coastal salinity, but this is inland salinity, how salinity is encroaching the sweet water. Water is becoming extremely an important aspect. And we are very pleased uh, that we are making a very good study and very good model, which I 
I think will we be able to replicate uh, anywhere in the world as we go forward. Not just the engineering uh, students, but we also get students from other schools that go to the Segal Foundation, especially from social sciences area. And, and they bring more impact, they bring fresh eyes onto our work, what we do. Otherwise, found, uh, organizations such as ours become very internalized. We need fresh eyes to look at our work and say, hey, you guys got to look at this as well. So we can, ex we can really look at um, uh, broader, we can broaden our horizons and take our work a lot forward. I have a huge list of thank yous, but I'll, I'll just take two minutes. <laughs> so I want to take this opportunity of especially thanks uh, President Harold for uh, this uh, wonderful recognition. As I said, I'm not going to touch it. Maybe I'll just pick it up. <laughs> yeah, I received it, so <laughs> thank you, thank you once again. Uh, I want to, I want a special thanks to uh, uh, Dean Downing Thomas uh, for your support. You, you have been fully behind this program, and uh, and every time I came here, you're so willing to meet, and so you're you and and, and Assistant Provost Drug Lee. I think you guys have been tremendous in the whole process in 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 this. My sincere thanks, of course, to Professor Muste and Professor Allen so for for your support for nominating me for this recognition uh, it is it is it is it is fantastic I'd really want to thank uh, professor Rajgopal I think Raj uh, you initiated the winter program and you introduced me to the winter program and you opened up Segal foundation practically for interns so thank you very much for what you did and what you have done and what you continue to do your 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 you have bigger visions now even after uh, leaving a university but I think you're even continuing work with the students, and I think this is a fantastic. I'd really want to thank my family who's here, my wife, Ina, Sachin, and my son, Rohit. They couldn't. And I think, I think this celebration cannot be complete without mentioning the fact that uh, Dr. Suri and uh, Edda Siegel, who are the founders of the, both of the foundations in India and in the United States, putting, putting aside their lifetime savings to start some projects to make an impact. I mean, this, this, I said, this celebration cannot be complete without their rec recognizing both of them. And I fully believe that we, are, we will look forward. We are looking forward to continued collaboration and partnership as we strive to bring about more and bigger impact around the world. So thank you, everyone. Thank you very much, and I really appreciate it, uh, this recognition. So thank you all for being here. As you know, this is World Canvas uh, from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr, and we know what special evening this is. And I thought it'd be nice if we had a few minutes to just talk one-on-one -on -one with the addition of Downing's comments to learn a little bit more about the foundation and the work you've done over the years, what your personal goals are for the uh, outcome of much of this research you do. And then uh, talk to Downing a little bit about internationalization here on campus. Um, I think that one of the most distinctive collaborations that's happened during the last many years that I've been working in international programs is this India Winterim program. Uh, it's already been described here, and as we know, more than a 1,000 students have taken this opportunity to learn for a concentrated three-week period during the winter break um, on the ground in India in many different subject areas. The Segal Foundation is very deeply involved, as you just explained, in uh, women's empowerment, education for uh, rural Indian children, and also the, the water projects. Um, why are these the projects that, that you've decided were most important for the Sekel Foundation to be involved with? Uh, thank you, Joan, and it's a pleasure being here today. And 
<clears throat> Segal Foundation has been working in the in in the villages over the last eighteen years, and we started out with the vision that we we thought that we could do uh, village by village and take a complete village and convert it into a fantastic uh, uh, thriving villages. And I think that was over ambitious uh, goal as we talked about. We we started with a program we called it Integrated Village Sustainable Village Development. So we said let's look at from every angle that we can look at and uh, how we can uh, make an impact in the lives of the people. As we moved forward and we quickly learned the fact that it is very difficult to work on everything in the village at one time. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's extremely difficult and the focus has to be there. In, in, in order to make an impact, we need to create focus where we can make a, where those areas where we bring quite a bit of impact. So we, uh, from our learning, we realized that water made a, water is a key area in India, and we need to make a larger impact in the water aspects of it in the community. Now, water and agriculture go hand in hand. Agriculture is extremely important as well because in the rural communities, if we really look at uh, fighting poverty, we need to make a positive impact with agriculture because that's the only source of income for nearly 50 to 40 to 50 percent of the rural communities. That's a lot of people. As you know, India has a lot of people. So if you, uh, we won't want to work on reduction of poverty. We need to work on good, sustainable agriculture practices. Again, agriculture and water goes hand in hand. We also feel that if what makes sustainability is the governance, because teaching people how to take care of their own well-being is the is the way to go. Because it's, we cannot, they cannot be dependent on organizations organizations such as Segal Foundation or organiz or some other, we will leave, somebody else will come in. It is how to create sustainability so they can take care of their own well-being. Along with the, one of the key cross-cutting theme, as you mentioned, is, is we work on women empowerment and uh, empowering the children, especially the girls. Now, we work quite a bit in the schools. In the We have a program, we call it uh, Transform Lives One School at a Time. When we work in the villages, we work mostly with the adults. And the children are kind of getting left out in the process of the development. So we said, let's involve the children as well as we go. So in the school, teaching them about governance, teaching them about, um, teaching them about the um, uh, uh, governance is the main thing that the children really need to take and, and teaching them about life skills. Those type of things that we said we need to take those initiatives of for the children because very poor, the poor children goes to these government schools. Those government schools need intervention because they're completely run-down school, uh, schools. There are uh, the roofs are leaking. There's no water in the school. There's no toilets for the especially for the girls. So we said, why not to make a school a welcoming environment for these children, and then also uh, attach the life skills education program, as attach the governance program, so children get into the stream, uh, into the mainstream from the very beginning. And especially we have a program that we work on, on the digital literacy with the girls mm -hmm. and teaching the girls how to work on a computer or how to work. So that is extremely important because otherwise if we didn't do it, this type of skill would not be available for the, for mm -hmm. the girls. So that's how we arrived at the type of programs where we are today. These are the key programs and we know they bring impact. Mm -hmm. And that's how we are where we are today. Wow. How many villages do you work with? We, uh, we are working in seven states 
today with the help of uh, various of our donors and partner, I, I don't call them donor, various partners or partner organizations. Uh, we work in uh, uh, almost 700 villages in India uh, in seven states. We are working in the states, uh, northern states of Haryana, Rajasthan and Bihar <clears throat> and the southern states in the uh, Andhra Pradesh, Telangana and Karnataka. And we just started uh, very recently uh, our work in Maharashtra in the, in the, in the, in the mid, Midwest area mm-hmm. in the, in the in India. So we are working in the seven states now as, as of today and 700 villages. So when, when we um, connect the University of Iowa projects with the work of the Segal Foundation, um, I take it, I mean, it's very complicated probably to figure out who goes where and what are the most important projects that um, students and faculty from overseas, the eyes you said you need to bring into your projects. Um, uh, is it quite difficult to figure out where they can be of uh, most use to you and where they might learn I think the max, to maximize, uh, that's a good question. I think to maximize the time of the students, we focus on one region instead of focusing on everywhere because then it, it kind of dilutes the effort mm-hmm. because uh, as uh, uh, Professor Mustay and Professor Allen can tell you that all students are made to make a presentation before they leave. They're, mm-hmm. they're completely interacting. We feel that their interaction with our core team is very important because the core team then makes sure they get the ideas and and then they go into the implementation mode of those those ideas and thoughts, especially the program that the engineering college is putting together on the studying the salinity, uh, inland salinity, and how the salinity is pushing towards sweet waters. This is a, a model I think that we will work, will continue to work on, and that model I think is 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 we have a very good test area where that model can be easily studied, mm-hmm. and once that model is ready and implemented and and then i think we can take it to any part of the world that we want to that where it is applicable mm-hmm. so i think that's how we the students study at uh, mostly in a very concentrated area um, if this particular student has the interest we'll be willing to send them to the other part of the part of the country uh, where the water or those type of issues mm-hmm. exist mm-hmm. Very exciting. And, and before I turn to Downing, I wanted to, to have you tell us a little bit more about your about Dr. Suri uh, Segal oh, yeah, and that, that, the origin of, of this wonderful organization. The Segal Foundation is established by Dr. Suri and, and his wife, Eda. And uh, basically, Suri is a geneticist from Harvard, and uh, he uh, came to Iowa back in the early 60s and very, very successful working for a very large seed company in, uh, in, the, in, the, in, in, the, in uh, Iowa. And uh, after working there 28 years, he left the organization to set up his own businesses. Um, within 10 years, he um, decided that he wants to be in the third phase of his life where he wants to uh, work rest of his life, devote the rest of their lives uh, towards uh, working for the poor, working for the mm-hmm. where they can make a larger impact. And they sold the companies and uh, most of the resources that came from the sale was put aside into this foundation and to do work back home uh, we also do projects in uh, Iowa as well. Mm-hmm. We do take on small, small projects in, uh, as and when it's needed. But uh, our larger projects are working with the universities, both uh, both here uh, and uh, University of Iowa, mm-hmm. Iowa State University, as well as uh, we are st- we're starting to work with uh, DMAC. Uh, the, the idea is to get these students to India and uh, and give them the exposure. And but that's one of the things that Dr. Suri and uh, the both and the family, Siegel family, feels very strong 
strongly about that how we can provide opportunities with the base that we have for the for the students in Iowa to give them a larger exposure because many of the students here um, I learned a couple of students that met the DMAC recently they have never been out of Iowa for yeah. that matter so why not this this opportunity should be provided to mm -hmm. these students and, and I think they feel very strongly about uh, about those those aspects. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's just terrific. And, and Downing, when international programs first uh, came across Jay and, and worked with Raj, Raj Kapoor to, to set up some of these joint projects, um, what looked appealing to you about that? Why was this something that you could see would benefit Iowa students? Well, the Iowa connection that, that Jay has uh, was first and foremost. And, uh, you know, I have to hand it to Raj. He, he really knew how to get faculty involved and engaged in these programs who can then in turn get students engaged. So I think part of it was the Iowa connection to India um, and, and part of it was just this opportunity to engage faculty and students across every single college. Students and faculty from every college at the university have participated over the years in this program and it's, it's truly a gem uh, mm -hmm. for that reason. It just, it goes broadly and it goes deep. And uh, the Segal Foundation, I, I recall uh, Dr. Suri gave me my first tour of the facility in Gurgaon. And what a wonderful gentleman. What a, what a, what a great supporter of, uh, uh, you know, of this Iowa-India connection as, as you are, Jay, and have continued to be over the decade plus that, uh, that we've been engaged with, with you and with the foundation. So Thank you. Yeah. 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 My, our pleasure. <laughs> Indeed. Well, as you mentioned earlier, this is also International Education Week, and one of the things that has been a very high priority of yours and also of the university in general, institutionally, has been internationalization of our campus and um, global opportunities for students. Could you take just a moment to, to tell us where we are with that project? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important, and it goes both ways. It's, it's both about welcoming uh, students to, to Iowa City where they can flourish, where they can get a great world-class education where they could engage with students from just down the road, you know, in Marion or across the state in Sioux City, and, uh, get, you know, expose those students to perspectives um, that they have never had, to friendships that they may never have had, and that we hope will last uh, a lifetime. Uh, and, and then it's also about creating opportunities like this program and the other India Winterham sections to have Iowa students go abroad, as, as Jay mentioned, some who've never left mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, the U.S. or maybe even never left the, the Midwest. Um, that's a truly transformative experience. And um, again, nursing students, students in business, students in engineering. Um, we had dental students go for the first time a few years ago. So we've We've, we've expanded the program. We've created those opportunities uh, both in India and in uh, dozens and dozens of countries around the world to both uh, have traditional classroom study, but also, as in this program, get out there, learn about what's happening in the field, meet people, um, confront problems they may not have confronted bef before, look for novel solutions to problems that may relate to those back home and are certainly do in a global context. And so, so both on the inbound and on the outbound picture, um, and then right here in the classroom, uh, 
we're trying to uh, expand the opportunities for students to be prepared for a global environment in business and to be citizens um, in a way that can contribute to their own well-being and fulfilling their life's hopes and dreams and passions um, and, and also advancing their careers and making a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as we uh, come to the conclusion of this little interview, um, what's next with you and with the Seiko Foundation? Well, <clears throat> there's, um, we, first of all, we, I think we uh, look at this partnership and we look at continue to grow this partnership. How do we grow together? I mean, uh, Marian mentioned maybe peak. I said, I don't think we can reach a peak. I think there's no peak and there's, there's continuous growth. Uh, we will continue to grow together. We will continue to work together. Uh, we see a, uh, completely a win-win-win situation in aspects. I think the faculty and the um, staff has tremendous to gain and uh, I think the Segal Foundation has tr- tremendous to gain and um, it is it is uh, creating a very very good environment. Segal Foundation is continue to grow. We continue to build more partnerships. Uh, we uh, we our key programs are governance, uh, water, and agriculture. We like to see it implemented in every state. Either uh, if we cannot do it directly, we'll do it with partnerships. Um, as the models get developed, I think the models will be taken to other places, other countries as well. Um, I think the the there's need is tremendous mm-hmm. and um, and you continue to work towards how do you continue to make them need um, um, or uh, made, meet the need mm-hmm. but the thing is that uh, it cannot be done with by one individual it cannot be done one organization uh, it is only can be done with partnerships mm-hmm. how do you develop partnerships how do you join hands and this togetherness is going to make a larger impact and I think that's that's where we are looking at continue to build my role um, as President Harold mentioned, is to uh, build a lot of partnerships in the U.S. with our organizations, uh, with companies, with the academic institutions, wherever we can build partnerships. And that's the growth. Mm-hmm. That's the growth for us. Oh, terrific. Well, you join a very, very small and select group of people who have been awarded the International Impact Award. And we couldn't find anyone better, I'm sure. So thank you so much. Please, everyone, um, congratulate uh, Jay Sakel thank for you. the award. Thank, thank you. you. It's my pleasure. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Hello and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr and we're coming to you from Merge in downtown Iowa City. In this segment, we're going to focus on community-engaged research between the University of Iowa and India for sustainable development and engineering education. I'm pleased to introduce three terrific guests. Uh, at the far end, we have Craig Just, Associate Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering in the College of Engineering. Hi, Craig. And uh, next to him is Alan Bradley, a professor in civil and environmental engineering in the College of Engineering. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Just next to me is Marianne Musta, who's a research engineer in IIHR Hydroscience and Engineering in the College of Engineering. And I'm really excited to have you all here. We'll talk a little bit about some work you've been doing uh, with India Winterim and also some new things that have have just um, arrived in your your laps from new educational opportunities that are being developed. But I think I'll start with you first, Marianne. ask you to tell us a little bit about the history of your involvement and the College of Engineering's involvement with India. Uh, thank you, John. Um, I will, uh, it makes a lot of sense to 
connect this story with the past because um, in IHR, a visionary professor V.C. Patel um, anticipated the globalization of our world and he initiated a course which was called uh, International Perspective in Water Resources Science and Management in 1997. So, um, his vision was uh, proven right because right uh, since the first offering in 97, uh, coincidentally in India, maybe not coincidentally, but uh, <laughs> that's how it happened. In 1997, um, since after the first course, we had more than 220 students um, um, traveling each year in another part of the world um, and uh, exposing them firsthand uh, to the multifaceted uh, problems of water resources and uh, water crisis and also major achievements uh, throughout the world. So at that time, this course was uh, very innovative. Uh, there were very few similar uh, courses in the country, two, three weeks duration short, intense exposure of the students to this water resources problem. So uh, we looked for models. We didn't find anything around. And then we had to craft ourselves the, the course. Um, our original model of the international perspective was uh, each year we were in another country. And uh, while in one country, each day we were another place. Uh, visiting uh, major projects, uh, visiting universities, um, uh, interacting with students, with faculty, visiting research institutes, but the focus was on, on uh, field, uh, um, field visits. And basically, we were kind of on, um, on um, par with the big, largest development in water resources at that time. Uh, we saw um, Iguazu fall mm. uh, after when was the first, uh, the largest dam in the world. Then when uh, um, uh, Three Gorges in China oh, yeah. uh, was inaugurated, we were there one year after. And then a lot of other things around. But uh, it was a kind of uh, uh, making aware our students of achievements but also problems uh, with uh, waters and how different countries approaches solving the problems, mm -hmm. um, um, solving the problems, then making decisions, and also looking at um, uh, transnational mm -hmm. uh, um, issues mm -hmm. uh, of uh, rivers, which is uh, uh, another big uh, issue. So I would say that we had this history of um, of uh, offering the course, we have 13 offerings before hmm. 2011. And in 2011, we plan to go back to India. And uh, at that time, during the preparation, we learned that another short course uh, started in 1997, uh, happened on, the, on campus, was uh, Raj uh, uh, India Winterim. And then we approached him, I approached him, and I said, I don't see a track of water resources in the India winterim. 
what about merging our experiences? As you noticed, our first model of the course was traveling a lot, itinerary, project, uh, everything was, uh, in terms of goals, the same, but was a, a, a very different format. The Indian Winterim is a place-based uh, place uh, uh, course uh, delivered in uh, strong collaboration with hosts on the ground and uh, one or two, depending on the course. And uh, it was a little bit of transition, but we said, let's give a try and see how it comes. And that was 2011. This year, we go for the sixth time in India, in the same place, working on the same issue, working with the same hosts. So basically, this shows that this model is obviously much superior in terms of educational aspects than many other aspects which you cannot capture easily um, compared with our previous format, which was not very touristic because mm -hmm. everything was uh, focused but mm -hmm. on, on water problems, but uh, definitely in terms of impact and uh, uh, eco, uh, this format is much, much uh, um, uh, more successful, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and then um, we uh, started a project. We designed a project in 2011 with a very uh, broad scope, uh, and uh, um, we plan for a phased uh, uh, phased development of this course. Uh, the scope was to. Um, working this Mewat uh, area, an uh, underdeveloped area of India, where the uh, freshwater um, uh, scarcity is a daily hardship and uh, affects many aspects of uh, uh, life in the villages. And um, that's our um, uh, playground. And we collaborate with Segal from the beginning, a very, very successful collaboration they, uh, without them, we cannot even go on the ground in those areas. So, uh, in those areas, and uh, everything goes uh, very uh, smoothly. So, we like the course, the students like the course, and it seems that um, in the general, I mean, this entire India in wintering program has a national recognition mm -hmm. now uh, through the international um, award which we got uh, from uh, the, the Andrew High School mm -hmm. um, Award for Innovation in International yeah. Education, mm -hmm. which was uh, awarded two years ago. So um, we definitely chose the right collaboration oh, on yeah. the campus <laughs> to, to move ahead. <laughs> um, so that would be kind of connection between past, mm -hmm. present, India, uh, and uh, uh, they should there. Uh, Alan will refer more to the mm -hmm. what we do on the ground, the, the mm -hmm. research and educational uh, aspects of our um, uh, every year trip. Um, I would like to um, to mention something which um, amazed me every year when we deliver the course. Uh, we start, and we have two students here in the room. Uh, we start with one, two, uh, two, typically two uh, pre-departure meetings. Pe 
people do not know each other, and then uh, we take the long flight to uh, Delhi, to Gulgaon, uh, and um, then we start working. We have very good strategy in terms of uh, preparing early for you know, some tasks to do and fit in the overall uh, team of the project. And uh, they, there is an ama amazing chemistry in building up a team. Literally, at the end of the three weeks, everyone is part of a bigger team. They have an, a feeling of ownership of the project. They know that this was developed by students with Segal, with the uh, people there, wonderful people on the ground. And we just keep moving and everything somehow naturally <laughs> grows. And uh, at the end, we are teams and we continue meeting afterwards one, two times, mm -hmm. not three, five, <laughs> you know, three, four years after. But it's amazing this, this kind of uh, how quickly the people use their skills, background to participate in the project, but then being uh, part of this larger team learning from each other, adapting to the situation, and there are many situations where they really have to probe their skills because we don't have what we have here and we have to some goals. So they go about it and we work together with the uh, people on the ground to solve the problem. So oftentimes, Alan is here and Craig will come this time, we say, guys, it's five o'clock. Uh, we have to go to dinner or we have a program. So it happens uh, quite uh, mm -hmm. every year, several mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. So it's a nice chemistry and that amazed me uh, yeah. every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you for, for giving us the background on that. And, and Alan, you were going to tell us a little bit more about some of the specific water issues that you're all working on when you're there. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, the Seagal Foundation, uh, they mentioned, uh, Jay mentioned how they're working in lots of different places. But the area that we focus on is um, in the Maywat district, which is uh, really fairly close to Delhi. It's maybe 50 miles away uh, from the outskirts of Delhi. But when you get there, it's a very rural, poor, agricultural area. Many of the customs and practices are really unchanged um, over a long period of time. And uh, that's an area where there's um, a freshwater crisis that's in place. Um, just naturally, there's lots of water there. The, there's lots of groundwater, uh, but much of the groundwater there is salty. It's too salty to drink or use for irrigation. Um, but there's an exception to that, and that's near the Arvali Hills. So on the western boundary of this area, you have these beautiful hills, and they capture monsoon rains, and the water runs off. But it's an area where if water infiltrates there, um, it re it's fresh water. The soils aren't very salty there, and over geologic times, there's been a fresh water zone that is located near the 
the hills. Um, but as times change with uh, things like um, pumps and um, in India would be free electricity, um, that's a resource that's being exploited. And so um, if you can pump fresh water and irrigate crops instead of mustard or wheat, you can grow tomatoes or onions. And, and so that's a change that's going on that's threatening. There's certainly greater populations to do that. And so that's kind of the situation that the Seagal Foundation saw in working in there. And they basically said, we want to try to enhance the water resources. And there's two big areas that we try to help them understand how this works. One is they, in the Arvali Hills, they try to capture water in check dams. So if that water that runs off the mountains, if they could hold it near the hills and make that water infiltrate into the ground there, that's fresh water. Uh, what's going to happen if they don't do that, it's going to spread out into the valley and get into the areas with salty soils, and that adds uh, saline water, okay? Mm -hmm. So they're, they're capturing that fresh water enhancing recharge. And that's kind of a large feature. Um, in the other thing that they're doing, I think is really innovative, is um, at some of the local schools, they're capturing rainwater from the rooftops and they're storing that rainwater. So rainwater harvesting is a fairly common practice. We've heard of that in a lot of places. What's really unique there is, well, what you would typically do is you'd capture the water and store it in a tank of some sort that you could use later on. And so you need a big tank and that costs a lot of money to do that. What they're trying to do in uh, this area is capture the water, but not store it in a tank, which is expensive to build, but actually store it in the ground itself, in the area that's salty groundwater. Um, as a hydrologist, when I heard, first heard this, I said, this is a really bad idea. I do not think this is gonna work, but um, They've, they've got a unique situation. They've built a well that protrudes into the saline groundwater. And when the monsoon rains pile up in those wells, they're able to push out the fresh water. And the movement of water isn't that great there. So they're able to recover that water. And so, um, you know, it was a very innovative practice, and it's one that, like I say, conventional wisdom, me as a hydrologist, kind of goes, uh-oh. Uh, but it's just amazing to go out there and see that. So I think what's exciting for us um, to participate is that we don't have a class that we do the same each time. We go there, we basically say, here are some things we don't understand, and let's make some measurements and find out. Uh, so one of the things we didn't know is where, what was the impact of these fresh, uh, or these, um, of the uh, check dams, you know, do they really work? And so we basically said where the check dams are, we would expect to find fresh water, and where the check dams aren't, we would suspect it might be saltier water. So how do we test that out? And so for one class, uh, we just basically went everywhere we could and found every well that was available, and we sampled the water salinity. And we are able to basically map out where fresh water is and where the salty water is. And um, it, was, it was really eye-opening to see where those check dams are, that's where the fresh water is, both, you know, 
uh, near some of the, uh, there's some areas where it's concentrated. There's a few where there's just a few sporadic ones. And so to be able to see that was exciting. We're measuring on a repeated basis, so we're able to see how things are changing through time. So it's sad to see water is being exploited still. The, the, the freshwater areas are being uh, depleted. Um, but we're able to see these things over time and understand how that's related. And we're also able to see how this, these freshwater uh, pockets that are created at schools, how they're um, evolving over time and how that might be a practice that is unique and effective there but could also be replicated elsewhere. So uh, being able to return, being able to ask new questions, be able to collect new data, um, I think makes it exciting for us, uh, but also makes it, uh, we feel like we're helping out this, this great uh, mm -hmm. organization. Uh, we get to go there and we get to learn from them and we benefit so much. And I feel great that I feel like we can maybe help them a little bit uh, through the efforts of our students. Because presumably then by the things that you're able to demonstrate and, and measure, you can tell the community leaders there, this is what we've discovered, we, we know this is an issue for you, um, we believe these work, but they may also be exploited, you might want to think about that. So I, I take it this is a dialogue. It's well, I, I would say that the dialogue, see, I would say the dialogue is very much with the group at the Seagal yeah. Foundation because they're the ones that are working in the fields yeah. doing that. So we can give them some technical um, um, information. They can interact with us. And I think they're the ones who can move forward. Um, to me, that's, I think, uh, Raj, the genius of his <laughs> India Winterham program was to connect with experts that are doing great things in the field. And we were lucky that the uh, Seagal Foundation um, really, you know, just a great example of that and just the fact that there were these Iowa connections that are there. So I think we help them and they can get that dialogue going because they're there working. They're the ones who are really doing much more than just the water part. They're working in the communities and helping them out. Mm -hmm. can, I, can I add mm -hmm. one uh, um, um, comment? Um, Indeed, this is not we learn, we students, students learn. We uh, mentioned, uh, Ellen mentioned this surprising solution to uh, save uh, fresh water. But uh, so the people on the ground, the technician in Segal, the, uh, the engineers, they, un they know the problem and they have drawings of mm -hmm. how the things are sure. happening. But it, the first time when we put numbers on the drawings, uh, rates of alarming rates of uh, uh, depletion of the fresh water. And then I understood that Segal goes on the ground and talks to the people, uh, talk to the people. And really on the ground, the people have no idea about anything uh, related to crisis. I mean, we have uh, students from other than engineering, social science and many other areas, and they have surveys and they learn that the, the villagers were not even aware that there's a water crisis in their mm -hmm. thing, so they just used the water as, uh, yeah. uh, you know, they wanted. Mm -hmm. Well, so, so Craig, let me um, jump down to you. I know that you are passionate about community-engaged research, and um, this, this India 
project, I guess you're going this year, um, mm -hmm. uh, obviously has sh uh, benefited UI students. It's clearly benefiting people who, who face these problems every day in India. What do you think, um, from the, the community engagement side of things, what is, what is the most important outcome? Well, um, community-engaged research or community-centric uh, partnerships like this, um, reciprocity is kind mm -hmm. of the word of choice I like to use. Um, clearly, our students are benefiting, and we've heard uh, instances where the communities themselves benefit as well. Um, and if you do community-engaged research just right, the community is actually involved in the research itself. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other part of this that I think is very interesting as um, you hear about this innovative way to store water um, in an agricultural area. Um, with respect to salinity, we've talked about uh, currently, but there's some other things in ag areas that may influence that groundwater as well. Um, the, the innovative solution uh, potentially becomes a little bit more complex and some other things you might want to factor in. And so then that creates this, this rich uh, kind of, again, community-engaged research uh, platform or an area where we can all come together and really study the best way to store that water and then retrieve it uh, so it's safe and really meets a lot of the standards that we would expect uh, from the World Health Organization or different uh, standards that we would have here in the U.S. And so um, I like to think, and we've it's already been uh, foreshadowed here or talked about here, that now the University of Iowa has been going back and forth so much now, so many times, that we are part of the community. It's the same community. And I think when we can bring new students from the University of Iowa into that community uh, in the right way and build around those uh, community relationships, then the, the research that many of our uh, graduate students want to do in particular, um, one of the extensions that I think I would like to bring uh, to this relationship, and I see Raj in the back. He's recruited me to go to India for like 10 years, and I'm finally going. Um, I've been uh, busy going to other places in the world, Nicaragua and Haiti and Ghana and whatnot, and so I've said no to Raj so many times. Uh, I'm very tickled to be able to go to India now. Um, but it's got this amazing infrastructure that then we can take PhD students along and master students along and get them the kind of the raw data they need to do what is kind of the classic research uh, endeavor that we do in civil and environmental engineering. And yet that outcome for them is beneficial to the community um, at hand that we're talking about here. And those are the new pieces that I'm really excited to, to help uh, foster in this relationship going forward. Mm -hmm. Well, on a program you were on some years ago um, discussing, again, uh, water, um, you talked about uh, a process of a, a solution that was added to um, unhealthy water, unclean water, that could purify it so that it could be uh, drunk in, in uh, areas that had just experienced perhaps a disaster or um, areas where there was water problems. But you connected it with a colleague of yours who knew about this, this experiment that had taken place in Central America, I think, and was very successful there. And... Um, the Flint water crisis became something we all learned about. And as I understand it, one of your friends, you know, was able to say, maybe we can use that process to clean some of this water so that people have drinkable water. So these, these issues that you might be working on in another country far away can very often, um, uh, solutions for those may, may also affect us here and help us in the States. 
Um, well, for sure. I, I, I gave a talk um, a little while ago, a couple of years back, on kind of the parallels of uh, we've talked about sustainable development in resource-constrained uh, communities or countries, developing world countries, uh, different things like that. And as I get back, I'm, I'm a born and bred Iowan, um, and for a, a, a new project we have here in Iowa, I've driven 10,000 miles in Iowa in the last two years, um, all around rural Iowa. And some of the infrastructure issues now in rural Iowa with respect to water and wastewater, um, starting to kind of parallel some of the things we see in some of these other countries in some ways in that these communities can't afford uh, kind of the, the modern way that those things are, are needing to be done. And we have to innovate right here in our own backyard. And so, again, going to a place like um, uh, India and being immersed in this um, uh, culture that's different than your own tends to kind of put the relationship part of it rather than the technical part of it, but it puts the relationship part of it uh, kind of in a, in a hyper mode because you're meeting and greeting new people and you really emphasize that, which is really important when you want to go to rural Iowa and work with a small town. Those are, those are skills that transcend the, the, tech, the, you know, the technical capacity that we want to bring. And then, you, again, you've got to have all these same conversations, all these same relationship building steps, such that then even these small towns right in our own backyard can also get the sustainable sustainable development that they need. And so the, the skills um, are universal. And then, um, you know, being able to, to kind of bridge cultures, whether, you know, even in Iowa, urban and rural, um, in India, rural to rural, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a very rich uh, way to build the competencies that we want to see in our students. Well, we should spend a minute, too, talking about a grant you've recently received, which is really quite wonderful, I think, to, to uh, what, help um, systematize some of the processes that are used, and you explain what it is. Yeah, well, this do. is where I come along. Uh, again, I hadn't been to India myself for quite some time, uh, but I recognized the value of that program. And then there was an opportunity to apply for a grant uh, to the U.S.-India uh, Education Foundation, and it's a two-year award, uh, $100,000 over two years, really meant to take even more people back and forth between uh, India and the United States, particularly in the context of building institutional capacity, ways to even build more. Um, again, we're not at the peak, uh, as I understand it. We're going to grow even more. Um, and the way it works for us is uh, um, also we have a brand new um, graduate program uh, called the Sustainable Water Development Program. And within that, we've got some pathway training experiences um, for, again, masters and PhDs students to start to think about careers that might not be in academia in particular. Um, and one of them is a global engineer pathway uh, training experience. And I'm the co-leader of that experience. And in that, we want our students to do exactly what this is. Let's go to India and let's look at what it means to be a global engineer, contextualize the things that you're learning here in that um, cultural framework. And so um, it was very timely um, to get this award, which is, again, meant to, to get us going back and forth. And so um, it'll fund three students uh, to go uh, on the India, uh, India winter trip uh, this winter. Um, but then we'll also send me back and forth um, uh, for some extended times, uh, can support uh, Alan and Marion and others going back and forth, but then also create a longer term uh, time where students can go in the summer, uh, could do 12 weeks if we would like, and uh, be able to build upon that research platform too that graduate students in particular uh, can provide some additional um, capacity building as we go back and forth. And then lastly, we'll get some of our colleagues from India, um, particularly uh, at IIT Rorke, um, an engineering institute there to come 
back here and see us and hang out for a while. So it's going to be really a wonderful way to build more of these partnerships that have been uh, the major part of the focus of this uh, uh, program today. Wow, wow, terrific. Anything more you'd like to say? Um, I would like to mention these IIT colleagues, IIT Rurki colleagues. We visited them over the years, mm -hmm. almost every other years. We have a longer relationship with them, and we always wanted to uh, uh, to be echoed by them in what we do with the students. So um, Professor Kansal and others from IIT were kind of encouraged to say, join with your students, do when we are, we, we are not there, and so on. So I think that this project uh, may uh, trigger that process. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are resources there, because resources might yeah. be, have been a, a reason for mm -hmm. not going, uh, getting more. But uh, I hope that this uh, project will make this happen too. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you all so much. It's so interesting, and I, I wish I could go along, but I'm anxious to hear about everything you've done. It's wonderful, and good luck in the future. So, Marianne Mosta, thank you. Alan Bradley, thank you. And Craig Dutt, just thank you very much. Yes, thank you. Thank you, John. Hello and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. Uh, I'm Joan Kerr and this is part three of our program on educational cross-fertilization, the Iowa-India connection. Uh, we turn to healthcare in this segment and explore ways in which those who study pain and administer palliative care are learning from each other through an Iowa-India partnership supported by the study abroad program India Winterim. Our guests are Stephanie Gilbertson-White, an assistant professor in the University of Iowa College of Nursing. Thank you, Stephanie. And Vijay Vardhan Kamalumpundi, a University of Iowa junior pursuing a Bachelor of Science in Human Physiology and a minor in Global Health Studies. So thank you, Vijay, for being here. Um, Stephanie, may I start with you? Um, you taught a three-week India Winterim course entitled Hospice, Pain, and Palliative Care um, between December and mid-January last year in Trivandrum, India. And as I understand it, the course is co-taught and coordinated with Pallium India. What can you tell us about Pallium India and uh, how this all evolved? Um, so I'll start by saying thank you for having mm -hmm. us. I'm very excited to talk about my experience um, with India Winterim. Um, I was first invited to the course just last year, and I was um, lucky enough to be invited by my colleague, Anne Broderick, who uh, is at the VA in Iowa City and uh, emeritus at the College of Medicine. And she has been um, taking students for the past four years, and she was invited by my predecessor, Joe Eland, in the College mm -hmm. of Nursing. And um, the course has been going on for approximately nine years. And what's really unique about it is that it's, it's a focus on pain and palliative care, uh, which is a, a philosophy of care that really focuses on uh, managing pain and symptoms and suffering in people with serious life-threatening illnesses, um, focusing on quality of life for both the patient and the family. The catchphrase we sometimes use is care beyond cure. Um, so that's sort of the, the lens that we go in, really looking at uh, suffering and um, quality of life in, in individuals with serious illnesses. Pallium India is the organization that we work with, and um, it's really a unique organization. They um, provide palliative care clinical services uh, to people in the uh, city of Trivandrum, as well as a number of surrounding villages um, through a team of volunteers, um, nurses, physicians, 
um, social workers who who go out to these villages where people live who are experiencing um, serious illnesses like cancer, um, have experienced strokes, uh, accidents that have left them um, uh, paraplegic or quadriplegic, and are in need of care. Um, Pallium provides pain management, they provide uh, medications, they provide social services. Sometimes the families are in need of uh, financial support for children to attend school and as far as uniforms and books and things like that. Uh, some families even have um, food rations that are provided. Uh, so they really have this very global view of what palliative care is, what the relief of suffering is for an individual with a serious life-threatening illness because they, they sort of bring this view that it's more than just um, the pain or the you know, need of medications, but really the fact that your family's impacted that you no longer can work is part of suffering. So they take this really broad view of how they can um, relieve suffering in the, in the people that they're serving. Another unique element is that they're not just working in Trivandrum, they also are doing advocacy across India, um, helping to uh, train um, volunteers and other interested providers to bring this sort of philosophy of care to different states around the country. Uh, they're doing advocacy work with the government to um, make changes in the medication policies around having access to uh, pain relieving medications like morphine. Um, so they're, they're, they're providing clinical services as well as trying to transform this vision of what palliative care is uh, through, the, through India. Mm -hmm. Well, as I understand it, so one of the um, differences between palliative care in the United States and India might be that, uh, particularly for these people who are quite poor and, and looking to Pallium India to help them, um, um, here people may have greater access to medications than would be the case for some of these poor residents of, of mm -hmm. India. Is that is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I think that is a good assumption for, for two reasons. One, um, while we have some issues with safety net in this country, most people have access to some sort of health insurance or Medicare mm -hmm. to relieve, uh, to receive medications to treat their symptoms uh, related to the illness. Um, in India, uh, approximately 80% of individuals have no health insurance whatsoever. So a medical illness can, and especially a serious one, can be financially devastating for a family. Um, one of the things that Pallium does is they provide medications to families, uh, to patients who need them. The other thing that's uh, a bit of a difference is that the availability of certain medications is different in uh, India compared to the United mm -hmm. States and specifically strong uh, medications for managing pain. So mm -hmm. opioids, um, which is sort of ironic considering the opioid crisis that we hear so much about in the United States, we really uh, talk about it's sort of an opposite opioid crisis in India. It's something like, uh, you know, 1% of patients who have uh, serious pain requiring uh, morphine for relief actually get access to that medication mm -hmm. because it's so highly regulated and um, uh, taboo almost. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, Pallium's mission also is to help sort of uh, demystify when it's appropriate, help providers learn how to use it appropriately, mm -hmm. help families have less fear around it because it can make such a huge difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. So when you're uh, teaching here on campus, um, what what is the um, added 
value to you, having having worked with Pallium India, having seen an entirely different healthcare system mm-hmm. and support system. How does that affect the teaching you do here, do here on our campus on a day-to-day basis? So I think one of the things that is quite different is um, we rely on technology a lot here, especially in our in our educational courses, mm-hmm. in our clinical rotations. Students are in the hospital predominantly. Sometimes they're in the clinic or in the community, but there is there's a lot of technology that we use to help us um, assess the patient, uh, sort of figure out what's going on with them, to apply treatments, um, sort of collect information, and it's easy to kind of focus on the machine and the numbers and sort of what the findings are and forget about what's going on with the patient and with the family. Um, When we take students to India, what we find is that, uh, one, because many of the families are very poor, there's not uh, access to lots of technologies. While these technologies exist in India, in many of the hospitals, they're not generally used in the patients that we're working with. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's less of a barrier between me as a nurse or the students and the patient and families, you're you're there and interacting with them. Also, the, the language barrier that exists um, from a learning perspective is actually sort of a benefit because students have to tune into nonverbal cues. They observe, you know, the kindness of holding a hand or sitting at the bedside or making meaningful eye contact and how that can be a, you know, soothing balm to patients and families uh, when we don't have all the tools that we sometimes rely on here, and you, they get more in tune with what they can do at the individual level through their humanity to help relieve suffering. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, what kind of um, sort of cross-cultural training do you do with the students before you go um, so that students aren't accidentally um, crossing a line in terms of personal space or mm-hmm. accepted, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cultural... Um, so we have some, a couple of orientations that the students attend in the fall prior to going. Um, we talk about what to expect. They do some readings. Um, we have some recommended videos. We have students from previous years come and share their experiences, especially things uh, that were surprising to them or um, they wish they'd known before they were gone, uh, before they had gone. <clears throat> the other thing we do once we're there is we spend a lot of time um, at the end of every day debriefing. So we can talk about the experiences that they've had and that we're maybe surprised by, or is there a, a cultural lens that needs to be, mm-hmm. um, you know, taken to understand the dynamics of what happened? Mm-hmm. Um, one a, a good example is that. Um, so, uh, when we think of collusion here within the healthcare setting, of uh, family members not wanting their patient, their family member, their mother, say, to know their diagnosis. Um, here, that's a value that we often believe in, that every person needs to know their full medical information and that they have the right to know that, and then family members can't keep that from them. Um, with the families that we interact with in uh, Trivandrum, it's not uncommon for families to want to keep information from the uh, patient. Mm-hmm. And um, we go through actually a whole lecture on collusion and sort of why it happens, what it means. And then um, the uh, physician that we worked with is also uh, Dr. Raj. We have our uh, Mm -hmm. India Raja Gopal. Uh, He helps us along quite a ways in sort of modeling um, how 
sort of why it exists culturally, but then how he works within the culture to kind of uh, bring people along and maybe say, well, you know, are there ways that we might share this information? How might it impact them if they knew? And sort of works on the relationship building to, to sort of ease people in, and they may or may not get there, um, which I think is very culturally different than what we would do here, where we think we take much more um, direct line and say, we think the patient needs to know and we're going to tell them. You don't have mm -hmm. the, you can't mm -hmm. interfere with that patient right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, so let's now turn to Vijay, who um, went on last year's Windrum program to this very uh, project in India. And so you're not in the College of Nursing. You're, you're a BA and studying human physiology and then global health. Yeah. So why was this course intriguing to you? Okay, so initially when I uh, applied for the pain and palliative course, I applied for it because the, uh, the curative and diagnostic treatment uh, <laughs> course wasn't available that year. <laughs> so it's very interesting how things worked out for me, um, all the things that have um, come together <laughs> through this course um, for me to be able to sit here and talk to you about. Um, but I think the, the interesting thing about palliative care is that it's so dependent on the interdisciplinary team that works together um, towards you know, finding a better um, treatment prognosis for, for the patient. So when we were on the trip, I mean, the name of the course is Learning for Each Other. And I think um, many of us have touched on that, on that theme today is learning from each other. Before I w even went into a patient room, I'd know everything about uh, what the patient diagnosed with, where all the dos dosages and all the drugs from the P1s and P2s that went on the trip with us, um, any critical care practices that you know the nursing students would talk to us about. I knew everything, um, and I didn't get any of that training here. So uh, I think that was a super interesting aspect, and that's what really drew me into palliative care. Hmm. So, so um, what surprised you when you were working uh, in this environment in India, I mean, what was, the, what was the impression you got? And are there things that seem better to you in one system or in another? Yeah, so an interesting thing, Joan, I know we live in this uh, environment where we're in an age of unprecedented technological development. And coming from the University of Iowa, we're on the front lines of that. We're at the cutting edge of research and development. Um, and for many students going to India in, in a in some environments where you know you couldn't see all these technologies happening, mm -hmm. going into a room and sitting at the bedside was very different for a lot of people, and it was for me. I was so focused on what the diagnosis was, but didn't necessarily worry about what what was the patient was going through. Mm -hmm. um, and in that aspect, Pallium India's model of of how to treat a person um, in their end stages of life uh, were so much more important to me at that point than. Any of the any of the MRI scans and CT scans that we worry we would worry about here. Mm -hmm. um, so, in terms of seeing the person as a whole, I think um, what Pallimin is is doing is absolutely remarkable and something that we as uh, you know University of Iowa students can apply um, to our hospital here. Mm -hmm. And did you feel that this was a, a similar reaction that other students who were on the trip with you had? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and I think the interesting part is. A lot of people just like me recognize the universality of, of, of human suffering. Mm -hmm. So a lot of students, including me, I don't speak Malayalam, the local language. Um, but some students would go by the, sit by the student, or sit by the patient, sit by the uh, bedside, and hold the patient's hand. And this is the essence of what healthcare is all about, is recognizing um, what the other person may be going through. 
not even worrying about diagnosis um, and empathizing with them, talking to them. And even if, if you can't talk to them, um, just being there for them. Mm -hmm. So I think it was very shocking to a lot of students. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, so when you go back this year, you'll be going to the same uh, clinic, the same environment, and um, no doubt different patients. Um, so uh, yes and no. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that's a little bit different about how uh, they go about providing palliative care in India compared to what we do here is that um, the vision that Dr. Raj has around uh, palliative care really is uh, alleviating health-related suffering. So some people that they serve have a disease or diagnosis that may ultimately um, cause the end of their life, such as they've had a stroke or they are paraplegic, but that timeline is years. Mm. So there are families that have been seen year after year. Um, and that uh, is interesting because students um, often read uh, previous year's students' blog posts or, or sort of reflections mm -hmm. on the experiences they've had. And then they go and they, you know, without re uh, releasing private information, name and things mm -hmm. like that, you can tell from the history and say, oh, this is that person that, you know, the person last year had an experience with. So we do see some uh, repeat families. Um, and then we do see new uh patients and families that um, are there, you know, new things have happened, new diseases, illnesses have cropped up and, and um, are in need of the care and services that Pallium provides. So when you're uh, teaching, you're working with your students here, um, is there, I'm sorry, I don't know how nursing works, but there probably is already some portion of nursing study that addresses this whole person, the approach mm -hmm. to the whole person, and, you know, take that extra moment mm -hmm. to perhaps rub someone's shoulder mm -hmm. or hold their hand or whatever. Is, is this just much more magnified for you now that you've, you've seen the importance in a very different setting? Did it change the way you felt about the need for that before you went? Um, so the way we, we do in nursing definitely um, put, put patient-centered care, uh, care of the whole person is, is one of sort of the core beliefs of, of mm -hmm. nursing care. And our curriculum has a lot of these concepts woven through. Um, what I found really remarkable when I went is that for me personally, uh, I got in touch with the part of me that wanted to go into nursing in the first place and make that human connection and care for someone individually, care for them as a, as a whole person and their whole family. And, um, you know, it sort of was, it's rejuvenating, rejuvenating. It sort of gets me uh, in touch with, um, the, the reason why we want to provide care mm -hmm. to, to people in need. Mm -hmm. And for you, Vijay, has this changed in any way your um, ideas of what you wanted to do as you progressed on through your career and your global health interests and so on? Yeah, so um, absolutely I don't know what I want to do still, but <laughs> it's um, probably something you know, medicine-related. Mm -hmm. uh, initially, I went into uh, India one trip trip thinking, oh, yeah, I want to go into cardiology strictly. Cardiology, I'm going to go to medical school, everything is going to be great. Mm -hmm. But this course kind of just completely turned, you know, gave me a whole new perspective on what healthcare is mm. um, across, across the globe, actually. Mm -hmm. um, so... I think whatever I choose, I mean, uh, medical school is probably a good option for me at this point when I'm now thinking about it. But um, whatever I choose, the principles that we learned in palliative care can be applied across disciplines. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah.
Wow. Well, two shining examples of the, the um, um, representatives from Iowa here, the University of Iowa, who go out into the world and, and bring so much back to us. So thank you so much, Vijay, for being with us, and Stephanie, really appreciate it, and, and good luck on this next trip. Are you going again? I'm or no? not. No. <laughs> no, but thank you very much for being here. Appreciate it. And please, thank our guests. Thank you. Thank you, John. So I hope some of you can join us for the next program, which will be on December 5th. And um, the topic is, I think, a good one. We're going to be talking about U.S. foreign policy, geopolitical realignment, and global stability. So join us if you can. And until then, thank you very much. Good night.